In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This banquet was a big deal. Abundant food, the choicest steaks, the best wine, the richest food, all available without limit and without price. This feast would make your best memories of Thanksgiving dinner pale in comparison. It would put the most extravagant wedding reception to shame. Everything is cooked to perfection and available in seemingly unending quantities. There was a continuous parade of waiters laden with overflowing trays of food, and the tables are piled high. This was a feast for the ages. Or, in the words of our Greek text, it was a mega banquet. Now, the Greek also has the idea here that this feast continues. The man gave the banquet, and the feast is ongoing. It won't just go far into the night. This feast would extend on into the future. Now, of course, if you're going to have a feast like this, it's going to take a bit of planning. You're not going to throw it together in an afternoon. In fact, it won't even take a month or a year to plan. This feast would be in the works for centuries. And the invitations would go out well, well in advance. There would be no excuse for missing this party. Now, another hint in our text that this feast was a big deal was that the master of the house not only sends out an invitation, which would include an RSVP, but he also sends his servant with an announcement, Come, for everything is now ready. This second invitation is a special courtesy practiced by those of high estate. It gives us a hint into who this master is who is offering this feast. And so think of it like this. You receive a save-the-date card years in advance. And then comes the RSVP, and you wrote it down in bright red bold letters. You pulled out your calendar and circled the date, making sure that you'd never schedule anything else at that time. There was no question when this party would be held, and you weren't going to miss it for the world. And so finally, then, the day of the party arrives, and the master of the feast surprises you by sending his personal chauffeur and limo to take you to his feast. The servant has been sent out to bring news to all invited. The feast is ready. Come and eat. And so he pulls up to the first house, and it's quiet. Although he does see an extra car in the driveway. So he gets out and walks up to the door. No one comes. He knows he's at the right place. This is the address of the first attendee. 
well, maybe something has gone wrong. So he tries the door. And to his surprise, it opens. Now he steps into the house and says, I'm, I'm here to take you to the banquet. And he expects to hear a shout from upstairs, I'm ironing my shirt, or I'll be right down. But that's not what he finds. Instead, he sees those invited to the banquet sitting at the table along with some other men. He repeats the invitation. Today's the day. It's time to go. All is prepared. But the man at the head of the table shifts awkwardly. Oh, that. Yeah, uh, sorry. I'm, I'm not going to be able to come today. I know, I know, I was invited a long, long time ago. But I just came across this fantastic opportunity to get some land. Here, meet the guy who's selling me the property and the, the lawyer who's facilitating the transaction. I mean, I had, I had to buy this property right away because I knew that prices and interest rates were going up. And as soon as we finish all this paperwork, I'm going to go and admire my new purchase. Give the master of the feast my regrets. Maybe next time we'll work out instead. Confused, the servant steps out the door and checks his GPS for the next address. That was strange, he thought, and incredibly rude. No one refuses the invitation. And at the second house, it was basically the same, only the excuse was different. I don't have time for a feast today. I need to go to work. Maybe when all my work is done, I'll swing by for a bit. And then came the third response. Have fun with your party. I can't come. I just got married, and I'm going to have a, a lot more fun with my wife than I will at your party. What, what had happened? One after another, those who had promised to come to the feast now declined. It almost seems as though there is a conspiracy for everyone to avoid the feast. Now, the invitation doesn't cause people to have negative feelings about the feast, but it does expose those who don't want to participate in it. In fact, next Sunday, with the parables of the lost things, we'll hear more about those who don't want the feast. Although they had all indicated a desire to come, when it came time to make good on their promise, they didn't care. Notice what things keep them away. Business, care of property, and family. And every single one of those things is a good work. But now, instead of using their good works to serve their neighbor, their good works become their excuse to avoid the feast. And these men believe that in having their good works, they have something better than the feast. But they won't come out and say directly that they don't want to be there. And yet all those who don't want to come 
will find every reason not to be there. Now, strangely, the way Jesus tells his story, every single person originally on the invite list declined the opportunity. The feast was a gift. If one person doesn't come, he foolishly misses out. But if the entire invite list fails to show up, the one who gave the feast looks like the fool instead. A few empty chairs at a wedding reception is kind of normal. But if no one comes at all, it looks like people are conspiring against the host. Well, dejected, this servant now returns to his master, and of course this news makes the master angry. But now he seems to do something almost irrational. He wants the servant to act quickly. Go out into the city, go through, go through the streets, bring in everyone you find. Bring in the poor, bring in the crippled, bring in the blind and the lame. Let them come and eat of my feast. And having done as the man had said, the servant sees that still there is room. So the master sends the servant out yet again. Go out and bring in the robbers and those hiding in shame, doing things in secret. Compel them to come in. Invite and compel until every single seat is full. And then we hear this final verse of our text. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now, at first, this seems like the master of the feast is getting angry again. It sounds as though he wants to be really certain that the first group knows without a doubt that they have now been disinvited. But there's something more going on in the text. For the statement, I say to you, is plural. And it would seem strange for the master to suddenly say to the one servant, I say to y'all. And so it's not the master of the house who's speaking here. This is Jesus offering his interpretation to those who are sitting at the dinner table with him right at that moment. And so he's making the point abundantly clear that this text is about those who sit at the table with him. And there's something else here too. No longer does Jesus call this the banquet of a certain man. Now he says, my banquet. The feast is thrown in the honor of Jesus. And so to dismiss the invitation and scorn the host is to scorn Jesus. For this banquet is no earthly banquet. This is the very feast of salvation. Not just an invitation to the party to end all parties. This is an invitation to the banquet of salvation. An invitation to believe in Jesus an invitation to come to church. 
the invitation has been going out all throughout the Old Testament. And that's literally what the Old Testament is. The invitation to the great banquet of the kingdom of God. And Jesus himself will be the one roasted in the Father's wrath as the main course. So the banquet won't be fully ready until his suffering, death, and resurrection. Then the second invitation goes out. Now the feast is ready. It is finished. All is prepared. Come and eat. So in the story Jesus tells, it's Jesus himself sending out his messengers, the prophets and the apostles, and his pastors too, to announce that the feast of salvation supper has been served up. And yet everyone turned their noses and fled. Now, it's probably easy so far to hear this as a sermon for all the people who didn't come today. And yes, it can be understood that way, and it's good that we have the sermon recorded so that they also can hear these things. But when Jesus spoke this, he wasn't telling the people in front of him about some other group. He wasn't giving them a story so they could feel better about themselves and judge the people who weren't with Jesus. Jesus was saying in no uncertain terms that the very people sitting around the table with him were making excuses not to eat his salvation supper. And we can see that in the text. For immediately before our gospel, a man speaks this wonderful sounding blessing. Blessed is everyone who will eat kingdom... Sorry, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, at first hearing, this sounds like a fine blessing. But notice that one little word, will. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. That's the trouble for this guy. He puts the kingdom of God somewhere out into the future. He doesn't see that Jesus is literally inviting them to the banquet at that very moment. He doesn't recognize that wherever Jesus is, there is the kingdom of God. He totally misses the fact that he's sitting there with Jesus and eating bread. Now, it's not a bad statement, but the context makes it bad. So imagine two guys from work are having a business dinner and one guy says to the other, I'd like to take a beautiful woman to this restaurant someday. And that sounds like a good thing to say. But if that man is on a date with a beautiful woman and he says, I'd like to take a beautiful woman to this restaurant someday, well, you probably wouldn't be surprised for him to be slapped and to find himself staring at an empty chair. So this man's statement wasn't so much a pious wish as it was ignoring and rejecting what was happening right in front of him. And this is a warning to us church people too, that we could be sitting in the very midst of the feast and still miss out on what Jesus is giving 
and doing. And yet, even as Jesus is being rejected at that very moment, by telling this story to them, Jesus also says to them, how blessed you are. The bread has been served up. The supper is prepared. John the Baptist has come. My apostles and I bid you to sit down to supper. And yet, you do not only stay away, leaving the host to wait for you, but you also try to excuse yourselves and to appear innocent. The invitation will be taken away from all those who do not want it. And yet, there is still room right now. There is still time to repent. There is still time to come to the banquet. And thus, it is also for you. The feast has been prepared. Everything is ready. Jesus has sacrificed himself for your every sin. Invitations are still going out. The feast is ready now. The party has already started. And there is still room. Jesus is here with his word, his water, his name, his bread, his wine, his body, his blood. And where Jesus is, there is his kingdom. There is his feast. There are a myriad ways not to be prepared. There are a thousand and one excuses you could find for missing this feast. But Jesus sets the feast before you as his gift. And so if you know yourself to be spiritually poor, crippled, blind, or lame, then this feast is for you. We said before that those who don't want to come will make every excuse to avoid the feast. But on the other side, all those who want to be there live for it. Those who see their need for this feast are unable to keep themselves away from it. Therefore, dear saints, find in this feast not something to be avoided, but find in it your very life and salvation. For in this feast, Jesus hands over his own life to you. Come and eat. All is prepared. In the holy name of Jesus. The peace of God keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.